Right, good morning. 9.30, the snow's coming down out there. <clears throat> it's good to see you guys. Everybody, you excited to be here? All right, awesome. Those of you at home, we're glad you're worshiping at home with us. And we trust that it will be a rich morning of worship in your homes. And uh, we see you. We know you're there. So we're glad to have you. Open your Bibles with me to Lamentations chapter 3. We are going to continue our study, the book of Lamentations. And as you're turning there, let me do a couple of housekeeping things that I need to make sure that I do. So number one, I reminded you last week we have a congregational meeting tonight scheduled for this evening. We're keeping an eye on the weather. What what I want to tell you to do is, if you're a member, I hope you're planning on being there. And of course, you're welcome to come if you're not a member. Just can't vote on church business, but we'd love to have you. Uh, We're going to, you know, talk about some good stuff. We got some church business to attend to. If we need to cancel because of weather, we will post it on the website by two o'clock today. So just make sure you check the website. If you don't see that it's canceled there, then it's on. Uh, It will be there by two o'clock. We're just, we didn't want to cancel too early. We're gonna keep an eye on it and see where things go. So that's number one. Number two is I want to remind you that two of my favorite Sundays every year are the baptism Sundays that we have, both in February and then in September. So we've got one coming up into February, February 28th. And one of, the things, one of the things I think is so pivotal about this Baptism Sunday coming up in February is that this has been a year to get our focus on a thousand different things, yeah? And this is, uh, what better thing to do than to remind us of the most important thing, which is new life in Christ. Bringing people to new life in Christ, helping them know Jesus, find him more beautiful and believable, to find satisfaction in him and joy and life and purpose in him. That's what we want to be about as a church more than anything else. And baptism reminds us of that. It reminds us how he saved us by grace through faith and what it means to proclaim that I am his and he is mine. I'm, I'm going to walk with him. So, Friends, here's the invitation. If you, maybe you're new to the faith, maybe you just came to know Christ, maybe you've been walking with him for a while, but you've never been baptized in obedience to this call that Jesus has made to us, saying, be baptized in my name, display that you're my follower. We'd love for you to be baptized uh, on February 28th. So be prayerfully considering that. If you want more information about that, want to sort of explore it, here's what you do. Go to westshorefree.org slash baptism and you will find a form to fill out there. We'll get in touch with you. It's a very short form, but we'll get in touch with you and chat with you about it. Filling out the form does not commit you to being baptized. It just commits you to have a conversation about it and we'll talk with you more about it. We're gonna have a baptism class on February 17th. We want you to mark that down where we'll talk about what is baptism a theology of baptism, and have a chance to hear if you're wanting to be baptized, your testimony of faith and how you came to know Jesus. And so we would love, love for you to be present for that, all right? And we will do both those things online. Uh, the, the class, sorry, will be online as well as I believe we'll be able to do it in person. Uh, so both those things will be present. And the baptism will happen at all three of our Sunday morning services, at the 8 a.m., at the 9.30, and at the 11.15. All right, so we wanted you to be aware of that. Now, Lamentations chapter three as we turn to that. So I'm not a great cook, but I do breakfast food pretty well. Any guys out there like kind of with me? You can grill and do breakfast food. That's kind of your, yeah. The kids look to you like pancakes, dad. That's what you got, right? So I love to do waffles. We do waffles around our house, right? And this is my mom's homemade waffle recipe. And if I do say so myself, it's pretty darn good, all right? So it's, you know, it's got your, you know, your baking powder and your flour and your sugar and your salt and, you know, all that. But here's the key. The key is egg whites only, and then you beat the egg whites until they're stiff. Anybody, you guys, you know? 
Right? You beat them until they're stiff. They look like little mountains. That's what, I, that's what I say anyway. They look like little mountains in the bowl. And then you put that in, and it makes the waffles really fluffy and soft, and they're really good, all right? So that is like a great Saturday morning at the Thompson house when I've got the time to make the waffles. Now, sometimes on school days, there's not as much time to make the waffles, and so my kids dig into this box of these things we have called power cakes. Has anyone ever had a power cake? Awesome. Let me save you. Don't eat them. They're terrible. So it's purely a box mix and water, and then when they're done and they're cooked, they look like pancakes, but they bounce like a rubber ball off the floor. That's how bad they are, right? You cut into them. They're, they're terrible, right? And I know that this isn't true with all cooking, right? Sometimes simple is better, but at least with something like this, the waffles and the power cakes, what makes the waffles so much better is all the extra ingredients, right? That there's some nuance to these waffles. There's some complexity to these waffles. There's some refinement to these waffles. And if I do say so myself, some sophistication to these waffles, right? And the power cakes are water and box mix, and that's it. And that's why they taste like rubber, right? So as we've been thinking about lament, and we sort of had an introductory week to think about the book, and then we talked about chapter one, and we looked at the lament, and you remember that we said that each of these laments can really stand on its own, that it's not a book that sort of makes an argument that is linear through the book, and then sort of like, you know, caps out in chapter three, let's say, and then kind of resolves itself. There's a lot of books like that in the Bible, but this is not one. This is one where every chapter is a poem and a prayer unto itself. And they kind of stand alone, although they have a lot of similar themes. And one of the things that I've been wanting you to see is that adding more ingredients to your ability to lament, adding ingredients to your lament is going to make it a lot better. It's going to make it taste a lot better. It's going to make the experience of it a lot better, right? So, you know, a little tongue-in-cheek here. Let's say we're, we're looking not for the power cakes version of lamenting. We're looking for the homemade waffles version of lamenting, right, with all the ingredients so that what you get from it is richer and more nuanced and more sophisticated and just more helpful to you in growing to maturity in Christ. So we've talked as we've gone through lamentation, there are six ingredients to lament, right? The, the things you need to pull out of the cupboard and put into, uh, into the mix when it comes to your lamenting and that it's that you would choose to talk to God as ingredient number one. And ingredient number two is complaint, which if you remember week one, that might have even be something like that you would have thought would be out of bounds to complain to God, to come to him in sort of this almost argumentative way that we see the author of Lamentations coming to him. Nonetheless, we see it here as a demonstration for us of part of our approach of God in lament. So complaint, it's number two. Confession, when the suffering that we're enduring and talking to God about is the result of our own sin so that it's a discipline upon us that he's bringing, that we would actually bring a confession to him is appropriate, that we would express our trust of him. And that's where we're gonna focus today. Expressions of trust as part of lament. That we make requests of him, that we actually say, God, deliver me. God, hear me. God, see me. Remember me. And that we would then commit to take action. Those are the six ingredients that we've seen as a part of a really sort of full, biblical, strong lament. And we want to add all those ingredients in. Now, Lamentations chapter three has many of those same elements, but we're going to focus on expressions of trust and ask the question, this is what we want to try and answer today, what can we learn from Lamentations chapter three about expressing trust to God? 
in the middle of our lament? What can we learn about in the middle of our lament expressing trust to God? It's really the high point for that. Every chapter has some expression of trust. Each one of the five, normally it's like one verse where it's like in the midst of a lot of difficult things being said, there's this one sort of glimmer of like, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna throw this one little sentence of trust in there. Lamentations three, the reason we're gonna focus on trust is because it has a thick chunk, if you will, in the middle, uh, in the middle of uh, the, uh, the poem, the prayer, there is this really weighty section of expressing trust to God. And so it's, it's the, probably the richest place in the book, the high point in the book, for learning about this ingredient, expressing trust as a part of lament. So we're gonna focus there today and ask that question. So let me give you a handful here, all right? So number one, what do we learn from Lamentations chapter three about expressing trust to God in the midst of our lament? Number one is this. We learn that expressions of trust and grief or complaint in the same breath are not contradictory that to express grief, complaint, and to express trust, even in the same breath, are not contradictory. Let me show you what I mean. Verse one, chapter three, here's what's happening. Remember, this is a communal lament, so it's being spoken for all of the people of Judah, and in particular for all the people of Jerusalem, the city that's just been conquered, had its walls torn down by the Babylonians, many of its best and brightest taken off into exile. And now what's gonna happen is, in chapter three, the author of Lamentations is gonna focus in and say, I'm gonna talk about my experience throughout this whole endeavor, and in talking about my experience, I'm gonna say basically it's the same experiences of, of everyone in the nation. So I'm gonna sort of extrapolate out my own experience and apply it to everybody. So he's gonna talk very personally, and that begins in verse one when he says this, I am the man who has seen affliction. That's how he begins. Lament chapter three, uh, I am the man who has seen afflictions. In other words, if anyone's seen afflictions, I've seen them. If anyone's been through difficulty, I've been through them. Then in verse four, just skip down a little bit. I know we're gonna kind of jump a little bit here down, but verse four, he says, he, speaking of God, he has made my flesh and my skin waste away. In other words, he's gonna say my physical health has been compromised. It's, it's not just that I'm emotionally in turmoil, it's that my, my body is breaking down because of how heavy God's hand has been on me. Then verse eight, though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. Remember, this takes us back to Lamentations chapter one where we said one of the things that suffering does is it gives us this sense of being isolated and alone, abandoned. And it's a normal part and it's a normal feeling in the midst of going through suffering that's exactly what he's expressing here. The Lord seems to have abandoned me. He's shutting out my prayer. I, I'm offering it, he's not hearing it. That's what he says in verse eight. In verse 10, he is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. So what I love there is that he's not afraid to see that the Lord is the one who's responsible for what he's going through. He doesn't try and shift that onto something else as if it's gonna help him. It's the Lord. The Lord's the one who's doing it. So much so that he would say, he's like a lion who's ready to ambush me. It's like a bear, ready to tear me to shreds. Verse 10, oh sorry, that was verse 10. Verse 17, now just a few verses down. I have forgotten what happiness is, he says. Think about that for a moment. 
I have forgotten what happiness is. Have you ever been sick for a, a while and you can't remember what it's like to feel well anymore? Like, have you ever been like sick where you're like, man, my throat, I'm, I'm talking about your, it's just sort of your common cold here, right? But you get this cold and it, you know, it, it hurts to breathe, to swallow, and you can't remember what it was like to take a deep breath without coughing in response. And you got this kind of fogginess in your head. And you just, have you ever gotten to the place where you're like, I don't even remember what it was like to not be hurting? Yes? That's what he's saying. I, I don't even remember what it was like to be happy. I'm so full of sorrow, I can't even recall what it was to feel happy ever. Verse 18. And if I were gonna say, if there were one summation of all the complaints, it's, it's this one in verse 18 when he says this. My endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. In other words, what, he's, what he said by way of summary is, Look, let me just sum up this complaint here. I have nothing left. I cannot endure another day of this. I've got no strength left. I've got no ability to move forward. I am wasting away. I am under the heavy hand of the Lord. It's too much. I'm out of, I'm out of anything I had. I'm out of it. And I have no more hope. That's, that's heavy, right? Now listen. The, now follow me, that's verse 18. Four verses later, in verse 22, what do we find? Well, let's start in verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will, what church? Hope in him. Now here's, here's what I wanna tell you. This, when you read it through, does it strike you as a little unsettling? Because you're reading along, and I, I, I think I could tell just by the silence in the room that as I read the description of the complaint, you could feel the grief. You could feel the weight of what this person is saying the Lord is like a lion, he's like a bear, I have no hope, I can't remember what happiness is. That's a pretty strong sense of desperation. And two verses later, three verses later, he's turning and he's saying from I have no more hope to steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. I call this to mind and therefore I have what? Hope. That's really interesting. Here's what I want to tell you, friends. What this teaches us is that statements of great grief and statements of great trust are not contradictory of one another, even when they're offered in the almost one breath after another. See, when you read that, you might be prone to think like I am, man, this person is unstable. Man, this person is double-minded. Man, this person like doesn't have their theological ducks in a row. What is going on with this person? They are like losing it. And you're prone to want to say, whoa, whoa, come, come on, come on, whoa, stop. Right? Let's let's get our thoughts in order here. But that's not what this that's not why this is here. It's not here to instruct us to try and make people's thoughts orderly in the midst of suffering. 
it's here to help us see that it is okay when people will say, I have no more endurance left and I'm out of hope, and then perhaps two breaths later, turn around and say, steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Even if they're choking it out through tears. Listen, every lament need not move so quickly (laughs) from complaint to trust. I mean, just see all the other ones, okay? Look at chapter one, look at chapter two, look at chapter four, look at chapter five, right? None of them do this, but chapter three does. And it's telling us that if that's that's the conversation with the Lord, it's not the result of instability or double-mindedness. It's giving full vent and expression to two realities. Number one, our circumstances are atrocious and grievous. And number two, the bedrock principles upon which my life and the Lord have been founded are still true. And it's just giving full vent, full weight to both of those things. And let me tell you, friends, it's important that these ingredients all be there Right? It's important that each of these ingredients be there. And I know it doesn't have to be so quick, but over time, over time, both complaint and expressions of trust should be present in our lament. And you might be thinking, well, trust seems counter even to the idea of lamenting, but it's not. It's here and it's part of our lament and we need to bring it. Doesn't mean we bring it into every prayer, into every conversation with the Lord, but there should be a regular returning to it. And here's the thing. Here's why both of these expressions are so necessary for us to have, what did we say lament exists for? Remember when we talked about this, lament is not there to teach us how to feel bad, lament is there to build hope. Lament exists according to this book so that we would grow in hope and you can't have it, can't have the kind of hope God offers until you learn to lament, give full vent to all the ingredients, right? And so here's why this is so important. We said in week one that one of the reasons that complaint actually helps us have hope is because we only complain to people we love and trust, really. I mean, when we really give full vent to it, we're saying, I trust you with this. And when we bring that to the Lord, we are building intimacy with him. You build intimacy through complaint, believe it or not. I know that sounds odd, but you build intimacy with the Lord by trusting him with your complaint, And so you need that present. And then the second part is you need, so that helps build hope in your lament. Like Because remember what we said, it's not a change of circumstances that we put our hope in, although we would hope for a change of circumstances. That's not ultimately our hope. Our hope is in the Lord himself. And greater intimacy with him builds hope because he's our hope. And the closer we are to him, the more hope we experience. And then, friends, when we complain to him, when we bring that complaint to him, as we see here, it builds that intimacy and therefore it builds that hope. So that's part. But the other part, the other part is that when we give expressions of trust, the other side of the coin here, if you will, when we give those expressions of trust, what it does is it renews our assurance of God's power and his love. Expressions of trust renew our assurance that God is powerful and that he loves us and that is needed for hope as well. You can't just have the complaint. You can't just have the expressions of trust. You need both to truly grow in hope. Okay. 
Number two, the second thing that we see in Lamentations chapter three about building trust, or expressions of trust, sorry, in the midst of lament is this, is that what we choose to think about matters very much. What we choose to think about matters very much. Look at verse 21 with me. I already read it, but I'm gonna read it again. He says this, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Now, a very short and a very simple verse, but that word, call to mind is not the idea that a thought just sort of happens upon his mind, that all of a sudden he just sort of like, oh, it just dawns on him. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That's what he calls to mind, right? But this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. What does he call to mind? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. That's what he calls to mind. And when he says I call it to mind, what he's saying is I summon it to mind. I make it come to my mind. I grab the thought, I lay hold of it, and I pull it to myself. And whatever thought was there and prevailing, I push that thought out with this thought. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. So friends, I just want you to see that. He's not saying, hey, when it dawns upon you that God still loves you, then you can utilize that. He's saying, you go grab that thought, you call it, you summon it, you seize it, and you bring it to mind. Does that make sense? And this is hard to do. (laughs) Let's be real honest here for a moment. I find in myself that in moments when I feel one of three things, when I feel self-pity, when I feel anger, or when I feel uh, defensive, those three things I find it really hard to get my train of thought off this track and over onto this one. Because this feels good and I feel justified to let my thoughts run down this way. Yeah, you know, I mean, maybe Amanda and I get into a little fight or something and I'm feeling like, she doesn't understand. I was totally in the right. And and it's really hard to grab that thought and stop it. And say, well, let me, let me come over here and grab this because this thought doesn't feel as good, to be honest. It sounds really nice now to say the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Yeah, I wanna grab that thought. I wanna grab whatever's true, uh, noble, right, pure, lovely, Philippians 4, 8, right? I wanna meditate on it, I wanna grab it. That sounds really nice now, but how many of you know that there are so many moments where we are really enjoying, if you will, a pattern of thought that we know is not good for us? We're just gonna sit in it because it feels good. And I don't really wanna go and grab this thought. That's way harder. It doesn't feel good. In fact, it might make me do something different than what I'm doing, and I don't wanna do that. This is not easy. So listen, here's what I'm saying. When we talk about uh, calling or summoning to mind, um, this is not like, um, hey, you've got a headache, take a couple Advil strategy for dealing with, for, for coming to lament and expressing trust. This is laborious, hard, difficult work to be done over a long period of time. Don't hear me say, hey, go get a Band-Aid from Scripture and put it on this gaping wound as if it's just gonna fix it in five minutes. All right? This is not... This is not just take, take a Band-Aid. This is learn over time and years and hours upon hours upon hours of laboring in being in God's word, learning then to be able to have a, a, an arsenal of truth at your disposal 
that you then fight to bring to mind. And having the arsenal doesn't make it easy to pull it up. You've got it there. Now you've got to go get it and pull it into your mind and say, I will think on this and not that. What comes into our mind is really important as an expression of trust to the Lord. That's what he's saying here. I love what Lois McMartin, uh, who does uh, missionary care within our denominational circles, I love what she says here. She gives some nuance to this idea of sort of taking our thoughts and capturing them and saying, all right, I'm gonna choose to think this way rather than that way. And I know I gave you four R's last week, so forgive me, I'm gonna give you four more R's, but they're hers, not mine, all right? So she says four steps to taking control of your thoughts. Number one, recognize what those thoughts are. Identify what they are, write them down, look for patterns in them. Sometimes we start thinking stuff, and have you ever been thinking something for like an hour and you didn't realize you were thinking it? All of a sudden you're like, oh, I've, I've like been on this train for a while. Uh-oh, right? So recognize what they are. Then re-examine them. Ask whether they are true, whether they're based in fact, and take it a step further, whether they're good. Because they could be based in fact, but they not, might not be good. Think about whether they're good, whether they are in line with God's word. Then after recognizing and re-examining, replace replace, set your thoughts intentionally on a scriptural truth that contradicts, if it was a lie that your mind was on, the scriptural truth that contradicts the lie, if it was something dishonorable that your mind was on, something that is honorable, set your mind on that, something scripture calls honor worthy, you know, worth your time, worth your mental energy, put it on that. And then I love this, because I probably would have identified those first three myself, but I love the specificity she gets into here when she says, then the last one is to refocus. I would have told you, yeah, exactly, sort of like know what your thoughts are, see what's not true, and then bring a truth in. But she says it's not enough just to spend like five minutes on it then. She says refocus, and what she says there is sit with these new thoughts, ponder them, turn them over again and again in your mind. And I love that. Consider their implications. In other words, what she's saying is, don't just sort of say, okay, I'm gonna set my mind on it for like five minutes as a way of getting rid of this bad pattern of thought. I'm gonna actually like chew on this for a while. I'm gonna sit with this for a while. So I love that. If that helps you, I hope it does. That's her stuff and I, I find it helpful myself. All right, third thing that we see here. It's important to speak the same great and final word that God speaks when we lament. So in terms of expressing trust, it's important to speak the same great and final word that God Speaks. I've already said it numerous times, but go back to verse 22, and then we're gonna go to verse 31. Verse 22 says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Now verse 31, for the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Now listen, here's what, here's what the Lord is saying. It would be possible to look at this. That word for steadfast love there is the Hebrew word hesed, and we really don't have a good English translation. Steadfast love is the best we've got, but really hesed means something like never ending, never stopping, never giving up, always and forever, unchanging, uh, miraculous love. That's, that's what hesed really means, but it's probably too long to translate it that way every time the Bible uses that word. So they say steadfast love, right? 
it would be possible to think, okay, if so I'm reading these laments, is it just that I'm sort of sentenced to go back and forth between grief and gladness, between pain and pleasure? Is that just what this Christian life is? Do I just, does one of them win out in the end? Or do I just kind of need to set my expectation? I'm just gonna go back and forth here and there will be times of where the Lord is compassionate, <clears throat> where the Lord is gracious, and there will be times where the Lord's hand is heavy upon me. Is that, is that the final word? Or does, does pain get the final word? And what this scripture is teaching us is that the Lord, his love is aimed at bringing us into righteousness, peace, and joy. That is the final word of God towards his people. Now, never make the mistake, don't make the mistake of believing that all that he does in our life, whether it be discipline or whether it be bringing uh, sort of easier circumstances, that all of that is the result of his love. One is not the result of the, his love and the other not. They are both the result of his love. But the final trajectory of his love for those who are in Christ Jesus is to lead us to righteousness, peace, and joy as a result of his love, not an expression of grieving. That's why this text is saying he grieves now, but his compassion will win out. Did you see that? He does not grieve from his heart he doesn't cause grief from his heart. In other words, it's not the Lord's great and final purpose. It's not the, the deepest purpose of his heart to cause pain and to grieve. That's not his deepest purpose. His deepest purpose is to show you love that brings you into righteousness, peace, and joy. Grief will fade. Sadness will pass. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Now, let's be careful here. I'm gonna do, a very, and I'm gonna do this very quickly. Let's be careful here, because I said we need to speak that in our, la in our lament. We need to speak to the Lord this truth. The, the, the final word that you have about me is that I am the object of your love and a love that doesn't produce grief, but a love that produces joy, peace, and righteousness. So we need to speak that. But this is not, there's this sort of age-old lie from the, new age, positive thinking movement that seems to be getting traction again in our society. And it's this idea of manifesting. I don't know if, you've, if you're familiar with this or heard about it. It's the idea that essentially, if I speak it, I can bring it about. If I just speak something, I can bring it into existence by speaking it, and there's techniques, and there's patterns, and there's you know, all kinds of like, you get to level 500 and you, you can do it, you know, sort of deal. Can I just say, that's a bunch of bunk. That's a big old lie. We don't manifest stuff by speaking it. We pray to the Lord and he responds and answers our prayers and brings about change in our life. Amen to that. But the Lord does that according to his sovereign and good purposes in his time, not according to our manifesting because we spoke it in some magical way. So I wanna make sure that you're on guard against that. Anytime that we say, hey, we're gonna, we need to speak about this or we need to speak this to ourselves like the truth of the gospel, we're not talking about manifesting some reality in our life through simply saying it out loud, right? That's not biblical. The other side of that, by the way, is to remember the purpose of lament and what we speak in lament is not actually to change our circumstances. We're asking for a change of circumstances, but the ultimate and deepest purpose of lament is to grow in hope no matter whether our circumstances change or not. That's the true purpose of lament. All right, so let's go to the next thing then. Fourth thing. It's important not just to speak the great and final word that God speaks about us, his steadfast love never ceases. 
it's important to speak the daily mercies of God when we lament. Look at verse 22 and 23. Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And now here, friends, when I read that, in light of everything we've seen in Lamentations so far, here's where my mind goes. My mind immediately says, hey, what he's saying there is what we just said. I might be under the God's hand of discipline now, but his mercy is gonna, gonna come. His mercy is gonna break upon me sometime, at some point. And if I just read verse 22, that, I, that might be a legitimate interpretation. But verse 23 corrects me, because look at what it says. They, meaning his mercies, are what? New every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. What the author is saying is, as an expression of trust in the Lord, he's saying, if I have eyes to see it, there is a demonstration of mercy every day. There is some demonstration of your mercy to be found every day. Now, I know that the reaction to that often is, that is hard to believe given the circumstances I am in. Like, if you're in a really tough circumstance right now, like you're listening to me right now and you're in a really tough place, you might be thinking, that's maybe true, Trent, for like somebody else's circumstances, but they're not for mine. I, I cannot see any version of mercy being expressed in my life in a daily way at all. And my, my gentle pushback to you, friend, would be, have you seen what the author of Lamentations has been going through? Do you remember what we saw in chapter two? Do you remember what we just read at the beginning of chapter three? Children are dying in the streets. It's awful. And yet he's able to say, your mercies, Lord, are new every morning. So don't hear it from me, but hear it from God's word. Surely, if he can say that in the midst of his circumstances, we all can say that in the midst of ours, whatever they may be. Don't say it lightly or easily, as if your circumstances aren't incredibly difficult. But I do say that the word of the Lord is true. If we have eyes to see them, there are demonstrations of mercy. So, how many of you would agree COVID's been tough, yeah? It's been tough. But I find myself wondering, what expressions of mercy have I been able to see that I wouldn't have even seen had it not been for COVID? And, and maybe more, what expressions of mercy have continued to be present that I saw before COVID and I continue to see because they're there. So how about a little homework assignment for us? I want you to see this week, if you can't think of five ways that God has demonstrated his mercy to you in a daily, small maybe, just in a, in a way where you go, yeah, this is true. His mercies are, in fact, new every morning. I saw this, I saw that. So that's my encouragement to you. I'm gonna do that homework assignment this week. Join me in it in terms of thinking about the new mercies of the Lord each morning. And, and then the last thing that we have, last thing we have is that we, we need to let complaint give way to humble silence. Now again, this is not saying don't complain. This, that's part of, that's one of the ingredients on the shelf. We gotta take it off the shelf and use it. But we need to let complaint eventually give way to humble silence. Look at what he says in verses 26 through, through 30. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. So do you see what the author is saying there? He's saying, 
there's, there comes a time where having offered our prayer and lament to the Lord, the greatest expression of trust is now to be silent, to put our mouth in the dirt even, to say, I'm, I'm gonna be so silent to recognize I'm dependent on you. You and you alone can rescue. And I've told you everything I've stored up in my heart. I've brought my complaint and I've brought my expressions of trust and I've brought my requests and I, I, I've, I'm talking to you about it. I've brought all these things to you and now I'm gonna sit in silence to show you that I'm waiting for you, no one else, you. I'm gonna put my mouth in the, I'd rather chew on dirt than talk anymore. I'm gonna lower myself in humility to show you that it's you that has to come. That expression of dependence is a way of expressing our trust, right? Saying you. It's good to have people surround us when we're grieving. In fact, it's really helpful, right? In particular, when we need someone to help us replace those lies with the truth because sometimes we can't say them, but somebody else can say them in a way that helps us get it. It's like, oh, okay, thank you. You know, so hearing it from someone else's mouth sometimes can be really helpful, but there's also moments where just to be alone with the Lord as a reminder that no matter how many people I surround myself with, they can't save me. He and he alone. It's you and me. You are all I have. You are all I have, and you are what I want. So there's a place, there's a place for words to give way to humble expressions of silence, quiet before the Lord. So friends, as we, our goal each week is to just take these ingredients off the shelf, yes? And start mixing them into our bowl. So okay, here's what lament looks like. So we make a really good dish here that we bring to the Lord. So I hope this helps you as you continue, as I continue to grow and learn together. Let's pray and let's respond to what we've heard in God's word by worship. Lord Jesus, we love you. We give you praise and honor. Just help us, Lord. It's, it, it's hard for us. We're fickle. We, are, we have small minds. We don't comprehend your purposes and your ways. Just help us as we grow weary when your hand is heavy and we're weary. Help us to bring these truths to mind. Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. We believe that is true. Help us. Help us in our unbelief. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.